It's the old radio comedy podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. I'm Greg Fordyce. Although we've mostly focused on classic radio sitcoms on this podcast, we occasionally delve into comedy variety shows and other comedy formats that were popular during the golden age of radio. Today, we're featuring one of the earliest comedy variety shows, The Fred Allen Show. Fred Allen, whose birth name was John Florence Sullivan, was an American comedian born in 1894 who got his start on vaudeville appearing as Freddie James, the world's worst juggler. His act started out with clumsy juggling and one-liners, mostly aimed at his own poor juggling skills. During a 10-year world tour, he gradually changed his act to more comedy and less juggling. In 1917, he changed his stage name to Fred Allen and returned to the New York City comedy circuit. After marrying Portland Hoffa in 1927, they briefly worked together as a comedy act in the dying vaudeville theaters. Allen's first radio appearance was on WLS Showboat in Chicago, which led to being in an Arthur Hammerstein musical, Polly, and then onto two short-lived radio programs, The Little Show and Three's a Crowd, between 1929 and 1931. These led to his full-time entry into radio in 1932. His show was called The Linnet Bath Club Review, then later The Salad Bowl Review, then the Sal Hepatica Review, and then the Hour of Smiles, all based on the sponsors at the time, until finally it became Town Hall Tonight from 1935 to 1939. The sponsor then, Bristol Myers, changed the name to The Fred Allen Show. The hour-long show consisted of several segments which would strongly influence comedy radio shows from then on, such as comedy routines and skits with the cast, uh, musical numbers, sitcom-type segments, and a lot of satirizing popular musicals and films and famous people of the day. The show that became Town Hall Tonight would become the longest-running hour-long comedy show in radio history. In 1942, the network changed it to a half-hour show, and they forced Allen to change his tradition of booking lesser-known guests to more popular celebrities of the day. And Allen often clashed with his network and his producers and his sponsors, he also had a long-running rivalry feud with Jack Benny for many years, which was entirely fictional. This rivalry gag went on for 10 years, and many listeners actually believed that they hated each other, although in real life they were very good friends. Okay, sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh as we present the March 12, 1941 broadcast of The Fred Allen Show, right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Texaco Star Theater. The 
More than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast welcome you to an hour of first and melody. With our star comedian, Fred Allen. Kenny Baker and Portland Hopper. The Texaco Roundtable. The Martins and Al Goodman's Orchestra. It's Texaco time. Thing Major Bowes can't do up there. <laughs> Thank you and good <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, again. And Jimmy again. Stop giving me those dragged out introductions again. Now don't you know that we're living in an age of speed? Time is of the essence in our business here. Why, this is radio. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Fred. I didn't know you're in such a hurry. Well, now you know, Jimmy. This program is a split second proposition. Everything is done with clock like precision. You see that mess of Tense, haggard faces behind the control room glass there? Why, yes. yes. Well, those men are all concerned exclusively with the function of time, those men. Each one of those highly trained craftsmen is holding a calibrated stopwatch, synchronized with a naval, of, naval observatory at Greenwich. I, I couldn't locate it for a minute, but it's... Uh... <laughs> The, uh, the, the, they're holding these calibrated stopwatches synchronized with a naval observatory at Greenwich, correct to one ten-thousandth of a second. Well, isn't one of those men holding a gun? Oh, that's the, that's the sponsor's booth, Jimmy. I mean, <laughs> I mean the control room over here. Oh. There are twelve men in there, all named Bulliver. Okay, okay, Fred. Let's get on with the newsreel. Well, that's what I say. Let's get on with the newsreel. Time in radio is precious, Jimmy. Tempest fugits. Time and tide wait for no man. A stitch in time saves... All right, then. Let's get to the newsreels. You're only wasting time. When you say I'm wasting time, you're wasting time saying I'm wasting time. <laughs> you don't seem to understand, Jimmy. This is radio. Every note of music, mind you. Every word I speak. Every door slam. Everything is time. Even the two laughs we get. Timed right down to the bone and then retimed. Clocks ticking, calculations, engineers, science, mathematics, astronomy, research, all adding up to one brilliant, precise result. What? Every week we get off the air late. Look, Fred, if you don't shut up, we'll be late again tonight. Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you. If you have learned my lesson, Jimmy, we'll turn to the latest news of the week. Mexico News presents its highlights from the world of news. Elizabeth, New Jersey, Union County Grand Jury rules that the game of bingo, whether played for charity's sake or not, is gambling. 
county prosecutor orders police to crack down on all bingo games, and instant raids scatter 500 women playing bingo in a local club. Tonight, Texaco News invites the local committee to discuss the Jersey question of the hour, bingo. Is the committee ready? Yeah. Quiet, please. Now you'll all be heard. Everyone, everybody's going to have a chance. That man walking away with you, was he? Well, first I'll, um, first I, uh, first I'll take this gentleman in the cutaway coat and sneakers here. Your, uh, your name, sir? Trumbull White. Trumbull White. And, uh, what is it you do over in, uh, Jersey, Mr. White? I am a reformer. A reformer, I see. Now, what about bingo, Mr. White? Uh, bingo, or Jersey chess, as it is called, <laughs> is the second largest industry in New Jersey. What, uh, what is the largest industry? Running buses to bingo games. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, there are thousands of migratory bingo players. My wandering all around through Jersey, huh? Yes. Well, for the benefit of an odd listener or two, a shut-in, who may not know what bingo is, will you explain it? Bingo is a game. Yes. Two hundred people sit around at tables with numbered cards. Yes. A man on a platform calls out numbers. Thirty-one, twenty-four, sixty-seven. And? The first player to get five numbers in a row yells bingo. Only this one person in the crowd yells bingo. Yes. The other two hundred yell, oh, nurse. <laughs> Oh, nurse? For a reasonable facsimile. Well, are you, uh, uh... Are you reforming bingo, Mr. White? We're stamping it out completely. You are. All gambling in Jersey has got to go. Well, oh, you are you cracking down on some other gambling game? Yes, I'm investigating this new numbers racket. What uh, numbers racket? Letters are coming through the mail from Washington. Young boys are getting cards with numbers on them. It has all the earmarks of a lottery. A lottery, you dope. Those are draft numbers. Draft or bingo in Jersey, it's got to go. If it's got to go... Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, Trumbull, what? And now, uh, this gentleman wearing the horse blanket with the belt in the back. Uh, your name, sir? Bolivar Rowdy. Uh, Bolivar Rowdy. And what, uh, what is your story, Mr. Rowdy? Well, I was running a movie theater. I'm playing single features, double features, triple features, Mickey Mice. And, uh, how, uh, how was business? I was losing me shirt. What did you do? I write to Hollywood. They send a guy on to hypo me business. Oh, I send uh, his solution. Well, he says I got everything going on inside the theater. It's a mistake. A mistake? Yeah, he says I ain't got nothing going on in the lobby. Oh, a movie theater. You have to... Well, did you get some attractions for your lobby? Brother, I got attractions all over the joint. Outside, I got singing pickets. Singing pickets yeah. outside. In the ticket booth is a magician. Inside the lobby, I got 16 acrobats and 40 pinball machines. I got a mind reader outside the ladies' lounge. Uh-huh. Free... Free donkey rides up and down the aisles for kids. And under each seat, there's a seven-course dinner. Well, did this, uh, this boom business? Nah, I'm still losing me shirt. And then? Bingo. In comes bingo. It's sweeping the country. Oh, and you? Well, I threw them bumps and pinball machines out of me theater and put in bingo. I'm clean enough. Business was good, eh? I'm jamming them in. Weekends, I gotta put in vaudeville to chase people. 
And now that bingo is illegal... Again, I'm playing single features, double features, triple features, Mickey Mice. And, uh... I'm right back losing me shirt. Well, that explains that horse blanket with the belt in the back. And thank you, Bolivar Rowdy. And now this, uh, this lady, this lady in the seersucker ensemble... I'm Mrs. Jonquil Fibbs. Jonquil, uh, uh, well, are you going to miss bingo, Mrs. Bibbs? Giving up bingo only means one thing to me. And what is that? My husband is getting his pot roast well done. Well, what has your husband's pot roast got to do? For ten years, his pot roast ain't been well done. Why? Bingo. Well, I'm sorry. I don't sense the connection. I... Well, I live in Nutley, see? Yeah? Every morning, I crew at the housewife, Grayley. Uh-huh. I stole around listening to them radio serials, Hyman's Other Wife, yeah. The Silver Boy, Life Can Be Ordinary. Uh-huh. Well, at one o'clock, I grabbed the Elizabeth bus. I know a spot there. Oh, do you? Bingo spot. Yeah. And all afternoon, I horse around playing bingo. All afternoon? Till four o'clock. Then I grab the Nutley bus, and at 5 o'clock, I'm back home putting on the pot roast. Uh-huh. At 6 o'clock, my husband's home. He's pouting. The pot roast ain't well done. And this has been going on 10 years? Thanks to bingo. Well, now that bingo has been stopped in Elizabeth, things are different, huh? Yeah, I'm playing in Belleville. Uh- <laughs> I'm getting home an hour sooner. Fine. And I'm putting on the pot roast an hour earlier. So? I say, giving up bingo only means one thing to me. Namely? My husband is getting his pot roast how he likes it. Well done. Oh, thanks. You wasn't so bad yourself. <laughs> oh, I bet you say that to all the MCs. No, I ain't kidding. What are you doing after the show, big boy? <laughs> well, I, uh... I got a mess of pot roast left over. How about you and me killing it? <laughs> Take your beef to the complaint department and thank you, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> this gentleman with the corduroy knickers and the patent leather wedgies. <laughs> your name is uh, Darby Timmons. Darby Timmons. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about bingo? The abolition of bingo should be done away with. <laughs> Well, why, Darby? I ain't seen me wife for six months. You mean? Bingo. Your wife plays? It's the same routine every week. Every night I come home, there's an oak laying in a frying pan. There's just one word on it. And the word is? Bingo. Bingo. Every night she's out to different clubs playing. Monday night it's the daughters of Barbara Fritchie. Tuesday, it's Sisters of Hope Circle. Uh-huh. Wednesday, it's some new club. Girls who formerly knew Rudy. You mean, actually, that every night... Every night, it's the same. The same note, the same frying pan. The same one word? Bingo. Why don't you do something about I it? I am. I'm taking action tonight. Tonight, I'm leaving a note in the frying pan. Well, bully for you. It's only going to say just one word. Bingo. Reno. <laughs> if bingo is legally banished throughout the state of New Jersey, bingo easies may spring up. Bingo games played sub rosa may sound something like this. Seven in the first row. Sixty-eight fifth row. 
23, 3rd, 41, and... Shh! Who's that going? It's me. What is it, lady? Bingo. From Bingo, we turn to Singo. Kenny Baker, in fine vocal fettle as usual, appears ready, willing, and able. And tonight, Kenny's first song is Georgia on My Mind. Yo, 
departure on his mind. Uh, pardon me, Fred. Uh, yes, Larry Elliott. I'd like to give a birthday greeting to some friends of ours. Uh, oh, you would? Well, I don't. Thank you, Fred. Tactical oh, dealers from coast to coast wish a happy birthday to John, Bill, Mary, Joe, Pete, Mildred, oh, Barbara, oh, Jane, Charlie, Ted. Wait a minute, Larry. You sound like Uncle John gone mad there. How many people are you wishing a happy birthday anyway? 53,000, Fred. 53,000 all our friends? They can be, because they're the 53,000 young American men and women who this week and every week reach driving age. Yes, a happy birthday to them all, and may they all soon enjoy the thrill of getting behind the wheel of a car for the first time. And you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how long you've been driving, you'll recapture that first thrill behind the wheel of your car with Sky Chief. Texaco's different premium gasoline. Sky Chief will delight you with surging, hill-leveling power when open country invites, yet throttle down to an effortless glide in traffic, and pick up again with an eager, buoyant lift. And that kind of flexible power is why you shift gears less often when Sky Chief is in the tank. Why you relax with such confidence at the wheel. Try Sky Chief. Your Texaco dealer's premium gasoline for those who want the best. Goodman and his 24 exemptions. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we've just received a special flash on the bus strike. Mayor LaGuardia says that if the bus strike isn't settled by tomorrow, 
he'll put the 6th Avenue L back up. <laughs> and he'll do it, too. He's got the hat and the blowtorch. <laughs> Hello, hello, Portland. I just... Hello. Well, of all... Greetings, girls of the Minnehaha Troop. Tonight, uh, I speak to you Wait a minute, on... wait a minute. What is this? I'm addressing the campfire girls. What campfire girls? The Minnehaha Troop is sitting around the campfire in Prospect Park with a portable radio. Oh, well, look, Portland, we haven't time to... Uh, after all... But I've got to make my speech before the campfire goes out. Why? Without a campfire? Well, there's just a bunch of girls. And without a sponsor? Well, we're just a bunch of people. <laughs> I think we'll just forego your forensic flight for the evening. Oh, why can't I make a speech? Kenny made one last week. Speech? Kenny didn't even get started. What did Kenny say? Friends, Romans, and Texaco dealers. Water! Water! I must have water! <laughs> get that guy back here. <laughs> Beamish! Yes, sir? Who told you to run in here, Adler Bickham and Page H2O? Well, you said... You said Texaco dealers. That's my cue. That was your cue last week. I know. This week I'm thirsty. Water! Water! <laughs> What a program. I'm sorry I ever let Kenny make that speech. But Kenny got a swell job out of it. A job? Yes. Kenny's working for the Elite Auction Company. As an auctioneer? No. Kenny is, is doing public speaking in the crowd. Public? What public speaking? When somebody did, Kenny did hire. <laughs> Well, he's a tenor. Naturally, he bids higher than other people. <laughs> but look, Portman, Kenny isn't the public speaker in that auction uh, dump. He's nothing but a shill. What's a shill? A shill, uh, as in she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. <laughs> a shill. A shill is a man who works with the auctioneer incognito. A shill bids other people up, you see, so they pay more than the article is worth. Oh. And I'm certainly surprised that Kenny stooping to such uh, infamous skullduggery. But Kenny thinks he was hired because of the speaking voice. He was hired because he looks like a simpleton. That's why he was hired. Who bid what? I don't want to talk to any man. All right. All right, Kenny. We know about your new racket. It's not a racket, F.A. It's a swell job. Did you have a good day today, Kenny? Terrific. Thanks to me, the company made its biggest sale of the day. Well, how did you swing it? Well, all afternoon it was dull. Nothing much happened. Then the policeman went away and things picked up. <laughs> Naturally. The auctioneer put up a genuine Chinese music box. It was a beauty. And what happened, Kenny? A wealthy gentleman and Mr. Huxley bid 25 cents. And then? The auctioneer tipped me a wink. Like a flash, I bid 50 cents. Yeah. Huxley bids a dollar. I bid two dollars. Yes. Huxley bids five. I yelled ten. Yes. Huxley bids eleven. Four. I bid twelve. Huxley bids thirteen. Yes. I bid fourteen. Go on. That's all, brother. <laughs> Mr. Huxley, stop bidding. And you? I won. The auctioneer sold it to me for fourteen dollars. You won? You mean you got stuck? Stuck? 
Why, it was a bargain, F.A. Oh, I give up. I, there's nothing I can do. Why didn't you let Mr. Huxley have it when he said $13, Kenny? He didn't want it, Sporty. Mr. Huxley was a shield, too. We just hadn't been introduced. <laughs> Kenny, you have been hornswoggled. Don't you know that for $14 you now own a Chinese music box that's probably worth about two bits? Oh, don't worry, F.A. I'll get my money back. How, Kenny? I've got the music box here. I'll auction it off right now. Over my dead body. But, I... but i got to get my $14 back, F.A. Why? I've got to go back to Schilling tomorrow. I've got to have money. Suppose I outbid somebody again. Kenny. Kenny, you have been trimmed more times than the wick in a lighthouse lamp. Now, just start your music box going and join it on the way out. But, F.A., I... If, look, if we want Chinese music here, we can get it from Mr. Goodman. And I'm not sure we haven't been getting it all along. Oh, let Kenny start his auction, Mr. Allen. I'll bid. Look, you're not... There are some limitations. You're not turning this program into an auction. Now, look, Kenny, I'll give you a dollar for that Chinese music box, and we'll just get on with the show. Oh, gee, that's 12, you, Mr. Allen. All right. Here's your dollar. I got a dollar. Who'll make it two? Who'll make it two? Two dollars. Quiet, quiet, Portland. Look, Kenny, I'll make it three dollars. I got three dollars. Who'll make it four? Four dollars. Who'll make it? Do I hear four dollars? Mr. Goodman. Do I hear four Somebody is calling Goodman. <laughs> Do I hear four dollars? Do I hear four dollars? It could be money talk. I've got three dollars. If you're taking inventory, I, Goodman, have 40 cents. But Mr. Goodman, remember? Aha! The essence of rodents tinctures the breeze. <laughs> what is this hugger-mugger, Kenny? Is Mr. Goodman here supposed to be your shill? Why, F.A. Shill? Aha! Suddenly Goodman is remembering. Okay, I've got three dollars. Are you done? Five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars. Thank you, Mr. Goodman. You're welcome. Six hundred dollars. Thank you. You're welcome. Seven hundred. Now, wait a minute. Just a minute, maestro. What are you doing? Goodman is bidding against Goodman. I'll give him a run for his money, that rat. <laughs> Let's go, folks. Seven hundred dollars has been bid. Seven hundred dollars for this genuine Chinese music box. Seven hundred one. Okay, Mr. Allen, it's your turn. I said three dollars, and that's my limit. Seven hundred five. It won't help, Kenny. Seven hundred three times. Seven hundred four times. Seven hundred five times. Se Do I hear four dollars, Mr. Allen? No. I said three dollars. You can take it or abandon it. Now, let's get on with the program. But Mr. Goodman bid seven hundred dollars. If you catch the Goodman who bid seven hundred dollars for a Chinese music box, from me to him, say, you should live so long. Kenny, look, fold up your portable shell and... I'll answer it. Hello? The Elite Austin Company? Yes, I still got it. Okay, I'll be right down. What was it, Kenny? Where's that music box? I've got to feed it right down to the auction company. Gosh, maybe they found out it's valuable. That's right. Maybe they want to buy it back. Now, uh, uh, just a minute, Kenny. If uh, that fly-by-night auction company wants uh, really wants that music box back, there's something in the wind. Look at this writing on the box, Mr. Allen. What does it say? Ming Dynasty, 1200 A.D. Ming Dynasty, 1200 A.D. Right, 700 years old. I'll never get my money back for this piece of junk. <laughs> Kenny, I've been thinking, lad. After all, you and I are old buddies. Now, I hate to see an old buddy get stuck. I tell you what I'm going to do, old buddy. 
You give me that old junky music box, and I'll give you back your $14. Gosh, F.A., you're a true blue buddy. Here. And here, old buddy, is your $14. Mr. Allen, are you sure you're not cheating, Penny? Frankly, Portland, I am. Mr. Allen! Uh, Kenny, I took advantage of you. Now, I may make $100,000 out of this deal, but that's besides the point. I only did it to teach you a lesson. Now, always let this remind you, Kenny. Let it serve to remind you. Never trust anyone, even an old buddy. I'll remember that, F.A., buddy. <laughs> Can we play your music box, Mr. Allen? Well, all right, but be very careful of I'll it. I'll wind it up. Uh, now, easy, Kenny. That's 700 years old. It's... It must be very delicate. There, it's all set. Now, turn that little switch, Kenny. Okay. Quiet, everybody. We'll probably hear a strange oriental melody that has been lost to civilization for centuries. Here goes. for centuries. That's Jeannie with the light brown transformation. <laughs> I heard it 40 times yesterday, twice with dyed hair, I heard. Well, at least it's a new arrangement. Quiet. Ming Dynasty, 1200 A.D., a priceless antique. Well, I didn't say it was. Oh, no? What was that important phone call you got a few minutes ago, Kenny? It was from the Elite Auction Company. I know, I know that, but what did the man say? He said to hurry down. Why? For two dollars more, he'll give me one that plays Frenesee. Kenny, you took advantage of an old buddy. I only did it to teach you a lesson, F.A. Always let this remind you, F.A., never trust anyone, even an old buddy. All right, old buddy. And now, ladies and gentlemen, while I hide my watch before some little boy on his way home from school talks me out of it, the Martin sing Kikonga. All right, Maestro. One, two. I've got two. Who made it three? Who made it three? Play, Maestro, please. Play. With a one, two, three kick, here we go. Major heart go tick, tick, not the floor. Major heart beat quick, quick, solid go. Major kick, conga. Major heart go tick, tick. When she gives out with a one, two, three kick. Logic conga. Oh, logic conga. Kick, 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 conga. Kick, conga, kick. Conga on 
And now the Texaco Roundtable convenes for another session, ladies and gentlemen. All of the other radio roundtables discuss the weighty issues of the hour. The Texaco Forum dedicates itself to trivia. Three members of our studio audience have been invited to sit in tonight for an unrehearsed discussion on anything. I won't promise that this meeting will prove spontaneous, but ten will get you twenty that it is entirely unrehearsed. Now, the meeting is formally opened, and our first guest, Portland, is... Lieutenant Condren of the United States Air Corps. Uh, good evening, uh, Lieutenant. Good evening, Mr. Allen. Uh, may I ask where your station? Uh, Mitchell Field, Mr. Allen. Uh, Mitchell Field? Yes, Mitchell sir. Field is the Army uh, tra- training field for Army pilots, isn't it? Well, not exactly, Mr. Allen. Mitchell... wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell Field is the uh, pursuit unit for uh, New York area. In other words, pilots are trained uh, at various training centers, and after a graduation, are sent to Mitchell Field. Field. How many men? You must be pretty busy over there these days. How many men have you over there training? Well, we have uh, about 4,000 enlisted men and about 380 officers, most of whom are pilots. Oh, I see. Well, how many... uh, What is the procedure in the training of a pilot? I mean, uh, how long a course is required, and what are the qualifications that's a very good point, Mr. Allen. I'm glad you asked me that question. Well, uh, the <laughs> Army... Uh, you looked as though you wanted me to ask you that question, so I'm gone. Right now, uh, the Army's in the process of uh, trying to train 12,000 pilots, pilots in a year. 12,000 in a single year? In a huh? single year, that's correct. Now, the qualifications are that a man must be not less than 20 years of age uh-huh. and not more than 27. Uh-huh. He must have had two years of, of college or its equivalent. Uh-huh. by taking an examination, a mental examination. Upon completing the uh, uh, mental examination, or having had the two years of college, uh-huh. he is allowed to uh, take the physical examination, and upon passing that, is sent to one of 27 primary schools. And how long does he stay there? He stays at a primary school for 10 weeks, the entire course being 30 weeks. Uh-huh. After uh, finishing the 10 weeks at primary school, he goes to uh, advance, and then to... Uh, uh, rather too primary and advanced. Thirty weeks in all. And he's Thirty weeks. And then at the end of that time, I suppose he's uh, able to fly a greyhound bus. I mean, he's <laughs> been through that ritual. Anything that has wings. Right? Well, thank you. Uh, I'll uh, try you out with my canary sometime. It's not getting uh, off off the ground the way it used to since we sold the cage. But thank you a lot, uh, Lieutenant. And uh, now, Portland. Miss Mary Margaret McBride of Paris. Uh, Miss uh, Mary McMartin, uh, uh, <laughs> Mary Margaret McBride, uh, you're from Paris, uh, uh, Miss McBride? Missouri. Paris, Missouri. Uh, <laughs> I uh, thought your accent was missing there. No, well, that is, all right. Uh, when was the last time you saw Paris? Missouri? Uh, well, I mean, you brought it up. <laughs> oh, about six months ago. Well, town must have been sort of empty when you left there, wasn't it? Well, there were a couple of other people. People hanging around. But well, what is your profession, Miss McBride, may I ask? I talk over the radio. You talk over the radio? Yes, sir. And here in New York City? Yes, sir. Well, now I'm even with you. You talked about our program on your program two weeks ago. So tonight we're going to talk about your program on my program. Now, first, uh, have you got a sponsor? Yes, sir. You have a sponsor? A very good sponsor. Who is your sponsor? Uh, Florida. The state, state of Florida. The state of Florida. Well, yes, you're sir. fortunate. You know, most comedians, uh, Mr. Benny especially, is sponsored by the state of coma, which... Uh, <laughs> Uh, 
But uh, your work, uh, your work to me is very interesting, Miss McBride, because uh, you go on the air every day, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, it takes us all week to get this show together to finally get on the air with it. Now, how do you find enough things to be able to go on the air every afternoon? How do you do that? Well, uh, I just talk about anything that interests me. Oh, you don't prepare? For... Well, yeah. Oh, you bet I work well, I mean, hard uh, going out and looking at the things. Looking for things for, yeah. for material, huh? But the reason I've been hanging around here so much lately yeah. is because I've decided I'd rather be a comedian. You'd rather be a comedian? <laughs> now, Miss McBride, don't tell me that you ultimately want to get to look like me. I... <laughs> I don't even mind that if I can be as funny as you are. Well, well, thanks a lot. That's a matter of opinion, of course. Well, thank you, Miss McBride. Now tune in tomorrow to hear you get even with us. And now, Portland? Mr. Barney Lazar from Corona, Long Island. Uh, Mr. Lazar, may I ask you, do you work here in New York? Are you in business here in New York? I work in New York, Mr. Allen. May I ask you where? At Radio City, Rockefeller Center. You you do? Really? What do you do there? I'm one of the elevator mechanics or technicians, as they call it. An elevator technician? That's right, Mr. Well, Allen. Radio City is full of uh, full of vice presidents. Do you have an executive uh, title that goes with your job? Why, well, no, just plain ordinary elevator mechanic. You're not the uh, vice president in charge of Wild Otis, are you? <laughs> <laughs> brings us to our question. Now, tonight, the roundtable considers the average man's approach to his daily newspaper. In this high-pressure age, most newspapers conduct advertising campaigns to call the reader's attention to feature writers, Broadway columnists, and cartoon strips. The papers rarely, if ever, publicize their editorial policies or their methods of news presentation. Now, as newspaper readers, we ask our roundtable guests this question. Do you think the average man buys the paper he reads because of its presentation of the news and editorial policies, or does he buy his paper because of a special feature it contains? Now, Lieutenant, how do you feel about that? What do you think influences a person uh, who takes the daily paper? Well, uh, from what I can see in the, uh, well, say, say in the subways in the morning, whenever I come to town on business, I'd say uh, most people buy them for the comics. For the, for the comic supplement. Well, I, you may have something there. What influences you when you buy your paper? Do you buy it for the well, sports section or the editorial uh, policy of the paper or the way it presents its news or what? Well, frankly, I live from day to day for Dick Tracy. That's oh, just <laughs> I can imagine you living with high blood pressure and in eternal suspense, but I guess in your business, Lieutenant, you don't mind that. I imagine Dick Tracy's a letdown after you've been working around the field all day. Miss McBride, how do you feel about it? What appeals to you most in the paper? Well, I think most people buy it for news, but if you'd asked me this question a few years ago, I'd have said I bought a certain paper just to see if my story had got in. <laughs> oh, you were writing for the newspaper, yeah. huh? And that's what newspaper people do. Well, that's pretty selfish. Of course, on most papers, if all the people who write for the papers bought the paper, they wouldn't have any trouble about circulation. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, uh, Miss McBride. I'm a little pressed for time here. The tailor brought it back too tight. Uh, Mr. Uh, Lazar, how do you feel about your paper? Why do you buy your paper? Well, I like to buy the news, Mr. Allen, because I like to read the columnists in the news. Oh, you're one of those gossip men, huh? <laughs> I don't uh, read the mirror because I don't... Well, I, we, we're not allowed to... Uh, of course, when you mention the mirror, you bring up reflections, and... Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh,
uh, table seems to have taken up too long and it's 100% undecided. Now, I don't feel that this little discussion tonight will cause the average newspaper reader to change his choice of paper. Tomorrow, as usual, scholars and thinkers will continue to buy their favorite newspapers to wade through the editorial dissertation. People who, who read uh, over other people's shoulders will take, uh, in the subway, will take pot luck as usual. But John Doe and uh, Lieutenant Condren will buy their papers to see what Dick Tracy is up to. Thanks a lot for your kind cooperation. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny sings his next number to the members of our little group as they leave the round table, and Kenny's ditty is You Walk By. Sunlight's gleam. You speak words and shame the birds that sing. Your smile is softer than the touch of spring. You walk by and children pause at play. You walk by. December seems like May. Heaven is right here and not above when you Magicians can make things disappear or pull a rabbit out of a hat. But your loveliness, my dear, does greater things than that. You walk by and children pause at play. You walk by December seems like May. Heaven is right here and not above when you walk by my You can't quit. Why, you're one of my leading Texaco workshop players, son. And our sketch goes on in just a minute. That's just why I'm quitting. Do you realize that sketch deals with the income tax? I refuse to play in it. Why? I'm mad at the income tax. Why? Last year, I claimed a deduction for wear and tear in my tonsils from reading radio scripts. They disallowed it. It's a dud. Yes, I but... claim a deduction for wear and tear in my shoes from tramping from studio to studio. They disallowed it. It's a dud. Yes, but... I claim a deduction for all... Now, look, look, brother. I don't care what you claim. You work tonight according to contract, or you'll find yourself faced with a bigger suit than that one you've got on there. Oh, but, Mr. Allen, I... Now, get over to that microphone and be prepared to deliver. The sketch goes on as soon as we hear from Mr. Wallington here on the subject of claims and duds. Yes, just as that actor's claims don't mean a thing and he's got to deliver, there's one time of the year when claims don't mean a thing and gasoline must really deliver. And that's in cold winter weather. So it really means something to learn that again this winter, 
Motorists by the thousands have switched to Texaco Fire Chief because the duds, those useless, worthless elements, are out of Fire Chief. They found Fire Chief quickly responsive to any and every driving demand. And naturally, they're going to want that same lively performance in their cars all year round. Why not put Fire Chief to the test in your car? Next time, try a Texaco dealer and famous Fire Chief. It's all action, not a dud in a tank full. At this time each year, millions of Americans start groaning in anticipation of that annual pain in the pocketbook, the income tax. With March 15th only three days away, working men and women everywhere are frantically filling out their tax blanks and wondering if a fiduciary is a man who fiduces. Well, who started the income tax? Tonight, this mystery is explained. The Texaco workshop players dramatize the life of the first income tax collector. This little cameo is called Philander Blank, My Story. Overture, maestro. Philander Blank was born on March 15, 1894, in the great state of Texas in the little town of Annual. Philander was so tiny as a baby, the stork wouldn't even bother with him. Little Philander was brought by a sparrow. At first, his parents made an incubator out of an old percolator top, but as Philander grew, he was taken out and kept in a cigar box under the stove. One night, his father came home from work. Evening, Ma. How's little Philander? He's powerful puny, Paul. Cat dragged him out from under the stove twice today. Never seen a kid so small and skinny. Where is he? Right here, Paul. Oh, goody, goody, goo, Philander. Hmm. Ain't enough meat on him to tempt the Pekingese. Certainly beats me. All my family, the Blanks, was big people. And here I got a son who ain't no bigger than a termite's wishbone. Maybe we've been reading too many of them Digest magazines, Paul. Well, maybe. But Philander's a Blank. He ain't disgracing us, Blanks. He's got to build up. But how? Well, stuff him with puffed rice and puffed bran. To swell, Philander, you mean? Yep. This is one blank we got to fill out. This is one blank we got to fill out. Ominous words that were to echo down through the years. But Philander thrived on his puff diet and grew stronger each day. The baby's strength was the talk of the little town of Annual in Texas. When Philander was three years old, his mother wrote a letter to old Granny Blank. And in the letter she said, Little Philander keeps getting stronger. Yesterday the little fella picked himself up by the seat of the diaper and held himself out to arm's length. At the age of 12, he was so strong, the village blacksmith complained to Philander's father. The smithy said, Frank, I don't mind your son pulling the shoes off of horses I've just shod to pitch quoits. But when he pitches horseshoes with the horses still on them, the boy's going too far. And so it went. Philander seemed to grow stronger and stronger as he grew older. When he was 16, Philander went to the state fair alone that year. He entered one-tenth just as the milking contest ended. The announcer was shouting, Folks, the $100 prize entitled a state milking champion goes to Clement Wolf of Beaumont. <laughs> Say something, Clement. Oh, shucks, twarn't nothing. The cow had and I took. <laughs> you got 41 quarts out of one cow, Clement. That ain't Pepsi-Cola. Well, it just shows what a feller can do with a little pull. <laughs> At this moment, the crowd was dumbfounded when little Philander put down his popcorn ball and shouted, I can get more milk out of that cow. Who said that? I, Philander Flank, said that. I can coax more milk out of that cow you just milked. My hundred dollar prize says you can't. I milked her so dry, the last pint was dust. 
settle that dust. Here, Bessie. Mm. Steady, girl, steady. You won't get enough milk to discolor a demi tasse. Watch this. Come on, Bessie. Mm. Well, I'll be... I ain't started yet. Stand back before the spray hits you. Mm. Holy holly, huh? And just to show off, Clement. Come on, Bessie. Bump, diddly, um, bump. How's that, Clement? Well, I'll be took and did for it. How'd you do it, son? Well, cows is like people, Rube. If you want to get a little more, all you got to do is squeeze them. Squeeze them expressed Philander's philosophy, and squeeze them was to be his slogan in later years. Adolescence turned Philander over to manhood. He fell in love with a butter-cheeked young thing about town. But every time Philander hugged his girl, he broke her ribs. And finally, in self-defense, she broke the engagement. Heartbroken, Philander left the little town of Annual in Texas and hitchhiked to New York City, where he soon became a mendicant on the Bowery. One day, he saw an ad in a medical journal. He applied at the clinic. Dr. Auerbach? Yes, beaten one. Uh, I've seen your ad. Man wanted to give blood transfusion, and here I am. Why, you're anemic, man. You haven't any blood to spare. But I can guarantee a transfusion, Doc. I've got something in this bag. Well, it's an emergency. I'll have to take a chance. Come along, right in here. Oh, yeah, Doc. Is the patient prepared for transfusion, nurse? Yes, Dr. Auerbach. Oh. Patient looks oh. bad. We must hurry. Uh, just what it is, uh, just what is it you, you're going to do with that paper bag, Bob? I'll uh, leave it to me, Doc. Just stick the needle through the paper. I'll squeeze the bag. All right. Ready? Okay, Doc. Oh. We're ready for the transfusion. Squeeze, man. Okay. Oh. The patient's coming too, Doctor. Oh, 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 where am I? Oh, 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 yes. Yes, where's my hat? Where's my coat? Well, goodbye, all. What a recovery. Amazing. This transfusion will revolutionize medical science. I told you, Doc. What have you got in that bag? A turnip. You can get blood out of a turnip? Yep. Get, man, you're a vegetable, Dr. Kildare. <laughs> Philander's star twinkled in the dark sky of phlebotomy for but a brief moment. P.M. wrote that the man who had the turnip transfusion had to stop and lie down every time he saw a boiled dinner. So Philander gave up his work, ate his turnip, and after a mild attack of indigestion, he became a bum again. A year later, he was found panhandling on the streets of Washington, D.C. Philander, still strong, and by now skilled in the art of wheedling, stopped his first prospects. Porter. What is it, Flotsam? Uh, can you give me a nickel for a cup of coffee? I can't give you a nickel. I will lease you or lend you a nickel. Yeah. Oh, uh, thanks. Gracious, what is that noise? It's the Indian on this nickel. What? I can squeeze your nickel till the Indian hard. Look. God, man, the country can use a man like you. I can get you a job. Yeah? Who are you? I, sir, am Bascom T. Snake, treasurer of these United States. Something tells me you can squeeze something out of anything. Yeah. As a boy, I could squeeze a cow dry. Good. I could get blood out of a turnip. Blood out of a turnip? Yeah. Squeeze a cow dry. Yeah. Then you are the man America needs. What do I have to do? Congress is passing a new tax, an income tax. Yeah. You will be the country's first income tax collector. You will squeeze money out of people. You mean I'll be famous? Yes, your birthday will long be remembered in our land. It's March 15th. Good. In your honor, the income tax will be collected on that day. Will my name go down in history? Yes. What is your full name? Philander Blank. I was born in Annual, Texas. Excellent. That will be America's slogan. What? Phil Blank. Annual, Texas, March 15th. <laughs> and 
this is how, many years ago, Philander Blank became the first income tax collector, kiddies. And as we toil over our forms and sweat over our figures, let us give thanks. For without our taxes, this great country could not enable us to live the American way. For this, then, let us salute our Uncle Sam and Philander Blank. moments are devoted to the entire petroleum industry by the Texas Company. Now that spring is just a few days away, it is hard for those of this generation to believe that once when winter closed in, travel on most of our highways and byways came practically to a standstill, and that travel at night to most people was unthinkable. Today, you can get into your car and travel clear across the country in any direction without more than a second's thought to the weather, and with no worry about obtaining gasoline, motor oil, and service. For service stations, those outposts of the petroleum industry comprise a great network that serves you everywhere, in every season, day or night. Thank you, Larry, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us tonight. We'll be looking for you next Wednesday. This is Fred Allen saying good night for the more than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast and inviting you to drive in at any time. Remember, you're welcome. <laughs> That was the March 12, 1941 broadcast of the Fred Allen Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in on Wednesday's Hump Day Happy Hour edition of this podcast as we present two back-to-back comedy shows from the Golden Age of Radio. And remember, if you'd like to suggest a classic comedy show for a future episode of this podcast or leave me a comment, please visit us at anchor.fm slash oldradiocomedypodcast and leave a message. Thank you so much for listening and enjoying. I really appreciate it. We'll be back next time right here on the Old Radio Comedy Podcast. I'm Greg Fordyce. Thanks for listening. <laughs>